May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This week has been so tense and, and miserable with the details of the siege on the Capitol and with folks trying to justify it that it's just been hard. I'm a tough broad, but I'm not ashamed to admit that I have cried a lot since January 6th. My muscles are sore from carrying the grief of where we are as a nation and how low people are willing to go. It's a decisive time for us. And as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, every man, I would say everyone, must decide whether they will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. This is the judgment." End quote. It's been too easy to think about the destructive selfishness that has embodied the White House and a relief to hear the voice of a grown-up in the room as the president-elect speaks about his plans. And the grief is still heavy. So it was with so much longing and thirst, so much more than usual, which is usually a lot, with so much longing and thirst that I turned to the scripture for this week. And the lessons are brilliant. And though maybe I will preach on Corinthians next year, and though I usually preach on the gospel, the lesson from Samuel called my name. It is one of my favorite passages from Scripture, a beautiful story about listening to God and overcoming fear to speak God's truth. It's a prophetic text for a weekend in which we remember a modern-day prophet. It's a text about being afraid to speak hard truths in a time of great fear. It's a text about faithfulness when the word of God is rare and visions are few and far between. Here are three lessons from the lesson from Samuel that we need to hear right now, today, and hold on to today, tomorrow, as long as we need them, always. Let me tell you what they are and then elaborate a bit. One, God will keep calling us until we get it right. Two, complacency is not an option. And three, gaslighting is not a prophetic skill.
So let me start with the first one. God will keep calling until we get it right. Unlike baseball, in discerning our call, even when it seems so obvious, looking back, it seems so obvious that it was God calling Samuel. Unlike in baseball, three strikes and it, you are not out. Eli was sleeping and Samuel woke him up three times. And it wasn't until the third time that the priest understood what was happening. Both he and the boy Samuel, they got it wrong. They did not understand. They were a little dense. Three times. And maybe it was for good reason, as I said before, and as the scripture begins, the piece of the scripture that we read today begins with, in their day, the word of God was rare and visions rare still. So God will keep calling until we understand. Every year I revisit the letter that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote from the Birmingham jail. And in it he talks as well about clarifying the call to an anti-racist society and to a church that makes no peace with oppression, and that understands that our plights are interwoven, and that is a perspective of people of faith, a man rooted, he says, he is not only a pastor but one whose father and grandfather and great-grandfather were pastors, I invite you to take the time to read that clarifying and discerning letter. For our scripture and in the message of Dr. King, we remember that the right way, the godly way, the loving way, the reconciling way, is hardly ever the easy way. And that's a lot of what I've been grappling with this week. God, why can't the right way be the easy way just a, a couple more times in my life? But it's not. And we were not baptized and we are not called for the easy way out or to stick our heads in the sand. God will keep calling us, all of us, until we get it right. Second lesson is that complacency is not an option. This is spiritual complacency. This is... Um, complacency in regard to how we live out our faith and the principles and the morals that we, we cling to, that we profess, that we pray, that we take on when we are clothed with the Holy Spirit in baptism. Complacency is not an option, and we see this in our scripture today when we look at poor old Eli. 
He reminds us that just because you are good doesn't mean your kids will be. Just because you do good doesn't mean everybody else will. Just because you know what is right doesn't mean others do and will act on it, no matter what your moment in history. The old priest Eli's sons were bad news, no matter how faithful their father were, was. They squandered their heritage and privilege in destructive selfishness. And that same truth about not becoming complacent to the ways of God or that things are all white and will always be, those same truths hold true for so many things, for organizations, for institutions, for governments, for our concepts, for our churches. As someone once said, vigilance is the price of freedom. And I want to say that 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 is true about the freedom that God gave us, the freedom that we are born with as sons and daughters of a God in whose image we are made, we are given the choice, the freedom to choose between evil and good and everything in between. And we must be vigilant. We must be vigilant. Joanne Rogers, the widow of Mr. Rogers, died this week. And I hope she had not been watching the news. There's a part of me that hopes that she had not been watching the news. These, this kind older woman. But when I saw that she had died, it reminded me of what Mr. Rogers used to say to kids when there was a terrible disaster, natural or made by human hands. And this has been quoted over and over and over again. He used to say, in a time of distress, in an emergency, in a disaster, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. It's a way of not becoming overwhelmed by the awfulness of what is happening. Look for the helpers. It's a very concrete way not to succumb to despair. Look for the acts of kindness and accountability that spring up all around when things are falling apart. We saw that in the very concrete way and I don't know him, I don't know him, maybe he's not like this always, but in the very concrete way that Representative Andy King from New Jersey's 3rd District, who ran for his seat saying he would literally clean up politics, stopped and helped the cleaning crew in the wee hours of the morning pick up the trash left inside the Capitol by the insurrectionists. Look for the helpers. We saw that in the, the veterans who appalled by the news that some of their fellow veterans 
were amongst those who stormed the Capitol, organized a cleanup of the Capitol grounds. Look for the helpers. We see it in the words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said about the church in his day, the white church, even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. We will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation because the goal of America is freedom. The goal of the church is grace and justice. For more than two centuries, he said, our foreparents labored without wages. They made cotton king and they built the homes of their masters in the midst of brutal injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet our people continue. If the inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us, he wrote, the opposition we now face will surely fade. He wrote that a long time ago, but we need those words today as we continue to lament and decry white supremacy and those who enable it and benefit from it in our country. So here's another metric that seems pretty straightforward about complacency and working for the good and figuring out where you should look for guidance. A neighbor reminded me of this metric recently. It says, if you want to know if you are on the right side of an issue, look to see who shows up to support your cause. If the Nazis are there, you are on the wrong side. If the KKK is there, it is not holy or of justice. If a man in a Camp Auschwitz shirt is cheering you on, you need to move out. If a man in a Camp Auschwitz shirt is cheering you on, your side is wrong. Doesn't seem that hard to me. But we cannot become complacent as the destructive forces of selfishness rear their heads over and over again in our history and will continue with more strength if we let them. So the third point, and this is a little shorter than the second, is that gaslighting is not a prophetic skill. It can often get you what you want. It confuses, and it can give you power if you wield that weapon enough. But gaslighting is the anti-truth. It's what abusers do to their victims to make them feel like they're crazy, and maybe they've got it wrong. Maybe they're beating me because they do love me. That's the twisted, wicked logic of gaslighting. One example. But trustworthy truth-telling is central to holy healing. Yes, God's grace extends to us all, 
and forgiveness can be had. But truth-telling is the foundation of reconciliation and the end game of prophecy. Being trustworthy is repeating the truth even when it's hard, even when loud, belligerent voices are drowning you out, or you are afraid you might hurt someone you love by telling the truth. When Samuel, in our scripture today, said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, God gave him a terrible message to deliver to Eli. It's awful. In fact, Eli had to drag it out of Samuel. It was a condemnation of Eli's household, but it was the truth. And as someone once said, you are entitled to your own opinion, but not to your own facts. The scripture says Samuel's words did not fall to the ground, dead, useless, because he spoke the truth. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote that in any of their campaigns for, for truth and justice, there were four basic steps. Collection of the facts to determine whether injustices are alive. Negotiation. Self-purification and examination. And then direct action. Our faithful actions must be grounded in truth to be actions of a healthy, holy reconciliation. Repeating a lie over and over again does not make it truth. It means that you think you are smarter than God. But God calls us to speak and stand for the truth. So, I'm going to end this reflection with some words of prayer which speak some truth that I got from the Benedictine sisters in, in Erie. We unite in prayer as we approach the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. We pray as racist-based violence has become more visible and has been organized against a peaceful transfer of leadership and as continual lies incite violence. These tragic events remind us how fragile we are. And so we pray. We pray for strength and courage for all leaders. We pray for protection for all those who are vulnerable. We pray for an end to oppression and injustice. We pray for a commitment to truth, the foundation of peace. We pray for an abundance of truth, hope, beauty, compassion, and nonviolence for all beings in this nation and around the globe and for the very planet itself. Lead us from the death, from death to life, from falsehood to truth. 
Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. And let us fill our hearts with peace. Let peace fill our world. Let peace fill our universe. And fill with that peace. May we ask God to give us messages of his word or her word, of God's word. Let us stand before God and say, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen.